Welcome to How We Hire, a podcast by Alva Labs. With me, Tove Handel. And me, Linnea Bivall. This show is for all of you who hire or just find recruitment interesting. Every episode, we will speak to thought leaders from across the globe to learn from their experiences and best practice within hiring, building teams, and growing organizations. Welcome to another episode of How We Hire. I'm your host, Tove, Events and Community Manager at Alva Labs. And I'm Linnea, Head of People here at Alva Labs. And our guest on today's episode is Celia Bogen. Celia has a master's in organizational psychology and over 15 years of experience within the people and HR sphere. She is a partner and chief people and communications officer at New Normal Group, an entrepreneurial group focusing on supporting and helping build innovative software startups and scale-ups. Welcome to How We Hire, Celia. Thank you, Tova. I'm super excited to be here. We're really excited to have you here as well. And starting off, before anything else, something that I've heard you say that I think we need to dig a little deeper into is that you really prefer the term people over HR. How come? Over the years, people have always told me that I'm an atypical HR person. Uh, And at some point I asked, what do you mean by that? And they answered, well, you know, you always link everything you do to the overall business strategy. You seem to think more like a financial controller than an admin person. You always ask us all these difficult questions that force us to rethink our plans. Now, this sparked an interest in me because I was under the impression that every HR person operated like this. I really believe that every or most, at least, HR professionals, they aim at supporting their company in reaching their overall goals and that they think of their role um, as business critical, as affecting business outcomes. But it occurred to me at some point that perhaps we have different strategies for doing just that. And for me, over the past few years, this has led me to divide the traditional field of HR into three areas, where the focus area uh, or the focus is a little different and the competencies that you need uh, to succeed are different. And these three areas for me have been personnel administration, which is Payroll, it's the reporting of sick leave, uh, following up on absence, you know, the paperwork of HR, perhaps. And then you have operational HR, which to me is legal compliance, establishing routines and uphold them, securing efficiency processes, I would call it. And then you have people, which is more about how do we rig an organization for growth? It's about effectiveness and how we can develop both in terms of the organization overall, but also in terms of each team member. I normally call it psychology in the workplace. I think you could also perhaps, now that I think about it, call these three areas the what and the how and the why of an organization, where I prefer to focus on the why aspect. This is just an idea that I have. I'm sure there are smarter people out there who have better and more elaborated thoughts on this, and I would love to hear from them. But this is sort of what I mean when I differentiate people from from HR. And like, I think this is super interesting. And I think my, my learnings, like I don't have a traditional HR background either. I'm a psychologist. And I've re- come to realize, I don't think anyone has a traditional HR background anymore. It is such a like wide field where a lot of different like strategies or way to tackle the field makes a ton of sense based on the company. And I think like building on that would be interesting. Like as you now work at like New Normal Group, work as you know an incubator you must see so many different like organizations and like how can you 
as an incubator help them with like when it comes to people, the what and the how and the why in people? For me, it sort of boils down to understanding the unique business idea and the business model of each of these uh, organizations that we have or, or companies that we build. Uh, which phase are they in and identify the unique needs that you have in different phases? Because I, I believe that a very early startup have, they have different priorities. They have different competency needs uh, than from, from a more mature startup or even a scale up would have. So it's sort of identifying where are we now? Where do we want to go? And what do we need in order to do that? And for me, when I focus on the people function or the the why uh, of an organization. It's really about not just looking at HR in a traditional uh, way or focusing only on our people, even though I use the word people. I'm lacking that good word for what it is that I try to do for a living. But it's really about all the processes we have that support the growth of each team member and the team and organization itself. And it boils down to processes, routines, systems, frameworks, communication, leadership style, management style, all of these things need to be viewed together through the lens of where are we now and where do we want to go? How do we support that overall overarching company goal, vision, strategy, and fine-tune everything we do so that it actually lends support to that growth journey? The conclusion I draw is that everything, like your your strategies around people, whatever you want to call, call the field, will be really tightly linked to where you are in the journey and it will change. Based on your like long experience here, why is it important to like implement a people function really early in the company journey? I would say that there are a few things that make it important to have a people function early on in a company. And, that, and this is also where it's kind of important to split between a traditional HR or operational HR, I think, and, and people, because sometimes, depending on where you are and where you want to go, you have to prioritize one or the other uh, sometimes. But if we're talking about the people function in the way that I've outlined it here, at least, it's three things that I want to, to highlight. And one of them is in our complex world, uh, one of our biggest competitive advantages is leveraging the combined strength of the people that have chosen to work with us every day, their skills and their perspectives. Looking at it from our first few hires, we need to make sure we're getting the right competence in early on. I think that is more crucial for an early startup, startup than for more mature companies where you can sort of afford spending more time on having specialized people and we need to onboard them in the best possible way for them to positively impact our bottom line as quickly as possible and thrive in our company and want to stay. And also that we build our teams with a focus on optimal performance. Uh, It's really important that a team in an early stage startup functions very well. I think this is super interesting. And one thing that, I mean, you mentioned is that it's more important to get the right people in, in an early stage startup than in a larger organization where you can afford more like specialization. First, I want to like why, but then also, of course, how. So why is it more important early stage to get the right people? It's always extremely important to get the right people in that can sort of help us grow. Of course, I've I've stopped looking for Remember, like 10 years back, we would look for people who would fit into our organization. I don't look for for organizational fit anymore. I look for organizational contribution. Some people that bring something that we lack and that we really need. And of course, that's important for any organization. But I believe that in a startup, you have 
very limited resources. You very often you have to operate on a very small team. So people have to be able to and willing to and thrive on having to deliver across your delivery line in a much greater or at least a broader way than you have to in a bigger team where you can have specialized people with competencies on very different areas. It's it's this rolling up your sleeves, getting things done attitude that you need to have. And in when you think about it like that, for me at least, it's, of course you hire for someone who has the skill that you need, but the skill set is so broad. So we really need someone who also thrives on that flexibility, on that challenging, um, juggling a lot of different uh, projects at the same time. And one bad seed in a very small, vulnerable organization as a startup very often is. It costs that much more and it's that much of a bigger risk, I think, uh, to the growth journey than when you have a bigger team that can sort of leverage any pitfalls that you might have or or lacks of competence. Mm, so there's no like support system. But so if something doesn't work out, it's going to be really like visible. It is. And it, it might hurt a lot more when you're if you're three or four people, uh, whereas maybe you're 14 or 20 people where other people can pick up the slack or other people have a different set of competencies and skills to solve, a, to solve a problem. And I mean, as you say, of course, it's always going to be super important, but there's no slack in the system uh, early on. So, okay, we know that it's super important. So how do you advise the companies that you guys work with to do it? The first thing is to really understand what is it that we need right now in the phase that we're in. What are the challenges that we need to solve? Uh, what are the areas of responsibility we need someone to hold? Or, or what are they that we need someone to hold on to? And what is our, what's the strengths of our current team? And what are sort of the, um, where do we lack competence or focus or power? Myself, for example, I'm, I'm this person who has a lot of ideas and I like to challenge the status quo uh, and come up with new f- ways of doing things. So when I hire someone to work closely with me, it needs to be someone who likes sort of, you know, catching all the balls and ideas that I throw up there and, and just run with it and execute on that. And I need to know that as a, as a leader in order to make uh, and build great teams that can actually deliver something of value. So I think it starts there. What is it that we need? What do we already have? And how can someone come in and contribute with something that we're actually lacking? So that's sort of a first analysis. And of course, there's, we could spend three days just talking about that phase. But but on an overall uh, topic area, that that's sort of a quick analysis. And then you have to do what I like to call research-based recruitment. It's, it's really hard trying to have a predictive validity on your recruitment processes, I think, especially in an early or in startups and, and early phase scale-ups because it takes a lot of time and it can it can cost a, a little bit of money and resources to do, but it really helps you make sure that you get the right people in that contributes that can quickly start running and producing and, and thereby affecting your bottom line. So we try to use methods that are that help us predict future uh, job delivery, future performance. That could, of course, be testing and it could be, you know, standardized interview processes, all of these things that we know. But sometimes in a very quick moving software startup world, you have to be pragmatic as well. And then it's something about understanding how people are different. We have different needs. We have different ways of organizing our work, making decisions, utilizing information. And as a manager, sometimes when you have to be more pragmatic and and you cannot be that picky in a recruitment process, you need to make the best of it. And, and I believe that 
coaching our managers and our CEOs then on how do you make sure that you see the individual that you've hired uh, as an individual that has unique needs and unique ambitions, how do you support that individual in contributing with something that we need in our current phase right now? There's so much I want to dive into. And if it's okay, I would actually like, as you said, we can talk three days about the <laughs> like analysis phase. But I think what's interesting then is, so say that you're trying to understand the current team, what like the current needs, like how do you do that in a startup where you might not even know what the product is going to be? That can be really hard. And sometimes we make an assumption and it's completely wrong. But I think that's sort of the beauty of having a group as we have as well, because we've fallen into pitfalls time and time again, and we've made mistakes and we have some wins as well. And every time we make a mistake, we learn. So that helps. But I would say that it's it's really about thinking, because what you need to do, of course, is to have a business idea. You need a, a, a where are we going? What is it that we want to do? do what are our goals what is our vision what is the product that we want uh, out there i'm not going into the whole product line but once you have that when you're ready to sort of hire someone it's about finding to me at least it's about identifying the strengths that we already have on the team and as part of the new normal group each and every uh, one of our companies they have access to the resources that is already within the group so they have access to myself for example as a people person and my my colleague, Alexander, who is really good at business modeling and finances and those type of things. So we start by mapping out what, what set of competencies do we already have and where's the gap? What is it that we need for this unique company? If that is an e-commerce platform or that is a product realization company or if that is a women's health tech company, you will, you will need different competencies based on where you are and where you want to go. You say like sometimes we think we know what they need and then we miss it and you know we make mistakes and I mean I think all recruiters can relate to that feeling. What would be your early signals that you're on the wrong track? I think very often it's something that you would get a sense of during during the interview process where you sort of you don't re- if you don't get the answers to the challenges that you have there there's something in our spec in our uh, job description and job posts that is not really, we haven't been able to storytell exactly what it is that we actually need. And perhaps that's because we haven't really gotten it under our skin ourselves. What is it that we're lacking here in order to succeed? But it's it's really hard because when you spec a company in, in an early phase, it's really, you might need something for a very short process of or, or period of time only because you you run really fast. And what we try to do, of course, is to build growth companies with a very high growth trajectory. You don't you don't want that growth to be very slow. I think that is when we say startup, it's not just every company that has been started, it's those with a high growth pace. So it's really hard because what we need today can be quite different from just a few weeks into the future, right? Two months from now, we might need something very different. Like I tried to talk about earlier, if you don't only focus on their sort of hardcore skills, if you need someone within marketing, don't just look at how good are they at doing uh, growth marketing, digital marketing, whatever it is that is sort of their field of expertise. But if it's a company that delivers products or projects to customers as well, look at sort of the, the overall communication skills you need that customer centric mindset you need a very you, you need flexibility and the ability to turn around really quickly you need 
fundamental business understanding because it is different to work in a startup than a more mature, bigger company. You need to be able to to thrive on high energy, high paced work environments. And when we say that in a startup, we really mean it. Linnea, on this topic, since you've been a part of growing Alva from a very small to a at least a scale-up size of 80-plus people now, how have you worked to identify all of these things that CD are now talking about in terms of like not going for hard skills, focusing on soft skills, maybe focusing on the overall mindset? What's your kind of insight into avoiding those mishires as well? I think the short version of how we have built Alva is that early on, we needed a lot of generalists. We needed great people that could do a lot of different things because as we grew, they would like grow and do different things, right? I mean, I've had like five different jobs at Alva in three and a half years. And so I think it's a lot about like finding the right people. So hiring based on who they are as individual, their soft skills, hiring really like ambitious, goal-oriented, driven people, uh, really smart people. So the way that we've done that has been by assessing their like personality and like logic ability traits to see if they have those like core aspects of who they are that will suit with this like generalist uh, role. So really using like standardized and scientific methods to target what is actually linked to job performance. And then I think like as the company has grown, it's about like finding that balance between like always striving for potential, but also daring to add more and more like specialization. So now when we're like, as Dua said, like 80 people, we have obviously more defined roles where you will be in this role and this is like the scope is defined and the scope will to some extent remain more or less the same for at least a longer period than it used to be. So I think it's like potential has been crucial and always will be, but it's also like the extra piece of the puzzle with like the hard skills will get more and more room in the process even though we never want to like lose part of this this core so it it sounds like kind of similar to what you're describing and and i mean that makes me think so what does your process look like to identify those people that are the right people and not necessarily just the right cv so we have 14 companies in our portfolio today in different phases. So the process is a little different for each of them uh, because of their different perspective and their different uh, needs. As much as we can, we try to use, for example, cases, uh, case assignments in order to see how people think. The beauty of case assignments, uh, in my mind, of course, is that there's very rarely one correct answer. There are so many ways uh, of solving a case and and things that you choose to focus on tell us a lot about who you are as a person and how you function in the workplace. The way you choose to present it tell us a lot about how do you involve others and communicate, which I think is really crucial in a building phase. Another aspect is training our recruitment managers in looking for different things, especially if you have a very specialized recruitment manager, if you have a growth marketer who needs someone on their marketing team just making them reflect around what are the other aspects of your job? What what other things than just producing marketing is it that you do that make you succeed or make you not succeed? Who are on your team today? The great ones, what is it that they are great at besides the marketing uh, field of expertise? And look for this in candidates and people that they talk to. 
in addition to, of course, this analysis of the team, what are we good at today? What do we have strength in and where are sort of our challenges and where do we lack competence or focus? Do you do different cases for each type of company? So that's super specialized. Are there aspects that you always use? Tell us a little bit how you how you run that. They're typically very specialized because we want to showcase typical challenges for that company. And even though most of or all our companies are software-based somehow, they have very different uh, focuses. Like we have this uh, headless e- e-commerce platform. We have a product realization company. We have an accounting and HR back office support company. And so whatever they do on a daily basis differs a lot, even if we have this common software ground at the bottom there as a fund, uh, as a fundamental focus. Uh, so we try to tailor make them as much as possible to make them showcase the actual workday and work challenges that you'll have in this role and also make it easier for our recruitment managers to assess any case solution to that actual company in that actual role. How do you make sure that they're relevant? Because we, we do it like we have the, you know, the analysis. And I mean, since I'm like in-house, I often know to some extent what people are doing and not. But then it's also this like getting it from 90% to 100% like good case. How do you bulletproof your case exercises? I'm not sure if they're bulletproof, but we're trying our best. But what we've done so far, at least, and maybe you have some some information or can shed some light on this as well, Linnea, but what we've done so far is to make sure that it's people who actually sit on that area today that create them. I don't, as, as a people person, make them because I'm not the best in every area, not even my own, I think, because I learn something new every day. But that's one thing. Uh, a, a specialized person makes the case. And we often ask candidates, how was this case? Is our, How could we improve it? Especially those who are hired. Did they have questions? Was there any misunderstandings? And in the beginning, there were a lot of misunderstandings because when you have a lot of information and you know what you're looking for, you sometimes forget to explain it to other people. You just take for granted that they would understand the intention behind the words that you've written down in the case assignment. And then when I say this, uh, we also try to use cases that are as close to an actual task that we could give as possible without asking candidates to work for free for us, because that's, I, I don't like that. There's something about the ethics in doing that that I'm not very comfortable with. But having, I would say those three things, having an actual expert create it, make them as close to actual tasks as possible, and always refining and reiterating the case assignment. It's what, it's what we do now. I'm not sure. Maybe you have some other tips and tricks for us that we should be looking at. <laughs> Plus one on all of those. I think, because I mean, we also do that the, it's the the person that like has the position or the hiring manager that will create the case. Um, but then I think it's also about, I try to provide a framework where, okay, we can't ask too much from the candidate. It needs to be realistic on time. So I try to be really like clear on that it can't take more than two to three hours to prepare. Then if it takes more than that, we're asking too much. I try to always ask like clarifying questions to like the hiring managers, like, is this actually relevant? Will this actually showcase what you want to look for? I try to, I always help the the hiring manager to write down um, assessment criteria for the case. And this often helps with like, okay, does the case exercise actually show the quality so that we can assess these criteria? 
Because if we agree that these are important criteria that we want to look at, do we actually get that information? That's also like a final check that it's actually measuring what we want to measure. And then we always have people from the team reading and just making sure that it makes sense, that it's accurate, links are clickable, like all of those things. Uh, So I think it's about like having a first draft and a clear framework, asking clarifying questions, getting someone that like with fresh eyes looks through it, like, does it make sense? But then also like having those assessment criteria, because we always send, send those to the candidate so that it's super transparent, but that adding those as kind of your final quality check, will it measure this? Can we actually assess these areas? So I guess that's uh, my add-on. In a lot of startups, it's very common to kind of recruit from your network, which goes a little bit against uh, trying to, you know, find the right person for the role with maybe skill sets that aren't in line with yours, because our networks tend to look very similar to ours, both in background and in all demographic data, too. In terms of that, how do you, like, do you safeguard for this in terms of the companies that you, the startups that you support in terms of making sure that like, even if you're coming in because you know the CEO of this company, do you go through the same process? Are you judged on the same basis? How do you kind of counterbalance that? That's a great question. Luckily, I would say we've, we haven't hired that many from our network. That doesn't mean that we don't know great people, but it's something about making sure that we actually get the person in that will contribute the best to where we're at right now. And that's not necessarily someone we already know. So yes, absolutely. We, Whenever we refer someone or we think, oh, we know someone that could really contribute here, they go through the same process. And that person who knows them is not allowed to be part of that process. Of course, they can weigh in and they can sort of make a reference or in, speak well of that person. But someone else has to to hold the process and have those more objective criteria. It's a baby and a passion of mine, diversity and inclusion, which I think, I mean, everyone is obsessed with it at the moment. But I've I've been focused on that for the past 15 years because I truly believe that we have to look for people who come with something that we're lacking, someone who has a different perspective, who can ask questions that we haven't already asked ourselves. And that's not necessarily people from our network because we tend to be sort of similar to the people we, we hang out with, right? Uh, or people we studied with, or that we've worked with for a few years, or that we share a beer with uh, every other Friday. So it's about that uniqueness that we're looking for. And that by design means we need to look outside our own borders when we look for people to help us continue on our growth journey. I think like in the context that we're discussing now, like early, early stage company building, I mean, diversity and inclusion will always be super important. But I think like since if there are fewer people, there will be fewer voices. And if those are really similar, you will never uh, have someone like come in with an opposite view. You will be too much like of a risk for like groupthink. So I think it's to some extent, it makes so much sense to focus on it early on, both because you need the different perspectives, but also because then you're kind of like laying the foundation of what type of company you want to be. I think it's... A big challenge if you have up to when you're, you know, 50 people only hired from your network and now all of a sudden we're going to start caring about diversity, you're going to be like, it's going to be such an uphill to turn that around. 
But if you get it right from the beginning, it's not only going to help you, you know, grow your business more efficiently, have better like ideas and creativity, but it's also going to like ping you up for the larger expansion, I guess. I couldn't agree more. And it's something about just laying the, the foundation correct from the start, instead of having to come in when you're 50 or 100 people and sort of starting patching on it, that costs so much more resources and money, and it takes so much more time. And if you think about all these things from the get-go, and I think as a uh, advantage on your competition, if you can think about this, if you if you truly understand why you need to think about this and how you can implement these type of processes and this thinking from an early stage, you run that much faster than your competitors. Working with startups and scale-ups, you're kind of working with the companies of the future. But what do you see as kind of the people ops of the future and recruitment of the future? What do you see the trends? Where do you see the trends going with the companies that you work with? I believe that over the past few years with the shifts that we've seen in the market, I think a lot of a lot of companies have started emphasizing uh, people ops and HR more than in the past, perhaps, and, and seeing more how this actually impacts the bottom line of a company and, and your company goals. As an extension of that, I really hope to see more people professionals becoming CEOs in the in the future because I mean, from my definition of people uh, or people operations, if you call it that, I would say that the perspective of, of people professionals is this whole from where we are today and where we want to go, how should we fine tune every person, every team, every process, framework, routine, to make sure we underline and support that company goal. And that is a unique overall complete vision of an organization, how to fine tune everything, how to see how one one area impacts the other. That is quite unique from my people perspective, a marketing perspective, a finance perspective, a business uh, model perspective. And I think it's way overdue to have more of more of those profiles in, in the CEO seat, actually. I think um, right now it's more of a, hey, look at this person who's been focused on the HR people field that became a CEO. And it's a unique, rare thing. I hope that that changes because I think it's really, it's a business critical role, especially in the early stages of building a company. So I, I would really hope that that is a shift we see for the future now. Obviously, I agree. <laughs> uh, but I think I think the reason why I agree maybe is more interesting. I think what we like the expectations that we are putting on all the managers that we have at Alva is that what they are responsible for, like their most important job is to A, like attract and hire great people and then B, like grow their team in an efficient way, like taking care of those people, getting them the right prerequisites. So we think about it a lot as like a sports coach. You need to get the right people on the team and then you need to make them perform. So to some extent, like that is people operations, right? And that's what we expect from all our managers because if they do that, then we've done crazy great work. I'm not only agreeing just because, but uh, I think it makes <laughs> a ton of sense. <laughs> I've heard about a lot of startups that doesn't have the luxury of getting like the help from maybe this like incubator, but that have this tactics of that they always hire two people. And then after the probation period, they will let one of them go because then they will keep the best one. Would love your thoughts on that tactic. 
That's not a tactic that we have. Uh, I don't think that I would encourage any of our CEOs to follow that. And I have a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of them is, of course, the ethics of it. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the candidate journey for that person who is then not chosen. That is harsh. And that person will definitely not be an ambassador for your company, which you need people to be. That's one thing. And the other thing is you're not thinking holistically about uh, people operations in this in this, this scenario because it, I would put my efforts and my resources on a better recruitment process then and make sure that I hire the one candidate that is best for us right now to begin with, not in this test phase. And also the resources it takes to onboard someone and make sure they hit the ground running and start producing quickly because they thrive there, because they find a place for them to to belong uh, and actually contribute. It takes much more resources when you have to do that for two people. And especially if you know that you're going to let one of them go, that's a waste of, of time and energy for everyone. I think the interesting part of it is that because if you are early stage and you bring someone in, like even if you have the perfect process, it's going to be hard to evaluate the performance because, you know, if you bring in a salesperson, are they not selling because they're not the right person or is it because you don't have product market fit or because macro factors? And then I understand the argument that if we have two, then at least we can benchmark those against each other. But I, I like your perspective of like the things that you forget then is that what does that do for candidate experience, employer branding, culture, onboarding, like fatigueness? So I really agree with it, but I think it's it, I think it's a fascinating way to think about it. But I think it's a bit like very very like short term treating people more like a product than an employee. But it's um, yeah, it was interesting to hear your uh, your thoughts. Yeah, likewise, and I also. One of the things that I always, uh, and, and I'm quite strict about it, actually, in every process that we have from recruitment to developing our, our current uh, team members, we never, ever compare them to each other. We don't compare candidates to each other. We compare them to the role that we have posted somewhere, the job description. And that's the same when you develop a team. I cannot be compared to you because we don't start at the same starting point. So I have to be compared to my own uh, results and my own ambitions and goals. Thank you so much for joining us today, Celia, and sharing your expertise. The next episode of How We Hire will be live in two weeks. Make sure to subscribe via Spotify or Apple Podcasts to never miss an episode. Bye for now. Bye.